Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, host for today's program. I am a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe in your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today's topic is, should I get to know my employees on a personal level? And, you know, this is a topic in business leadership that has been percolating and I think bubbling up to the surface really for some time. Um, you know, it's, it's either been couched in certain other, you know, leadership, uh, contexts. Um, you know, one of my favorite books on leadership by uh, a retired Naval officer named Michael Abramoff called it's your ship. Um, I heard him speak and then later read his book. And it's a story about how he took, he took over, the uh, the lowest performing or lowest performance rated destroyer in the I think it was the U.S. Pacific Fleet, and turned it around into the highest performing destroyer in uh, in the course of his two year tour, um, and and terrific if terrific book. And I'm always fascinated in how you can potentially uh, translate military leadership into the uh, into the civilian sector. Um, but one of the things that comes across very clearly in that book is that even though he had a you know, a destroyer full of, of officers and, uh, and seamen, um, uh, by the hundreds, you know, he got to know most of them and, and care about them. And you can talk about the other things he did, which I think were very important. Some of the things that I, that I do, um, uh, interesting as a, as a side, one of the things that I do that I get questioned on a lot is, you know, back in the days when our firm used to actually work in an office and we would eat together, um, I would always make sure that I ate last, or at least I ate, I ate, uh, after any of the non-partner employees did. And, and people would ask me, why, why do you do that? And I said, well, that's a, that's a military tradition where the enlisted people always eat first and the people kind of then go up from there in reverse order or ascending order uh, of rank. And I think, I think that's a good idea because it's a symbol of how you, it's a symbol of how you put the the people on the front lines or closest to the front lines first, even if it's in a relatively modest way. And as 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 those of you who listen to this program know, I have a massive man crush on Simon Sinek, and I am going to find a way to get him on this podcast or get a restraining order. We'll see which one of those things actually happens. Um, and I'm a big fan of Start With Why, and then I, I recently finished reading his book, The Infinite Game. and you know, not necessarily explicit, but certainly implicit. You know, the infinite game is about is about building relationships, as opposed to the the traditional archetypal twentieth century and previous management model, which is really a transactional 
model. You do work. I pay you. We all, both go our separate, our separate ways. You know, Simon Sinek, I think, is very much a thought leader in, in this notion of the, of the infinite game, that, that the notion of transaction-based leadership is simply no longer viable in the 21st century. Um, people are too smart. Maybe you can say people are too needy. A cynic might say, well, in a world of, in a world of participation trophies, um, you know, parenting is now being outsourced to leadership in, in, in the private world. That's, I think it's a little too cynic, but I can also, I can also see that point from a certain point of view. Um, but, but, you know, what it really comes down to is moving from a transaction based leadership model into one that is relationship based. Um, and there's a limit to how much of a relationship you can have with somebody if you don't know them. You can have a little bit of a relationship, but if you don't actually know them, it's really hard to take an interest in them in a way that is authentic and useful if you don't actually know what, what kind of matters to people. And, you know, as frankly, as an introvert, it's something that I have to be very conscious of because I, I can be a very robotic manager um, without, uh, without blinking an eye because, again, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Generation X person, which means I'm a shut up, put your head down, do your work, and go home. That's the culture I grew up in. That's a culture I, I shake to uh, – I struggle to shake. But I fully understand. I certainly make a, a conscious effort to evolve beyond that. And so I hope for those of you who are like me that um, that are looking for something useful in exchange for having, in my case, uh, gray hair and two arthritic ankles, um, you know, something that goes along with the wisdom of age and that is evolving into a non-transactional form of leadership. And so uh, I think this is going to be, I think this is going to be a great topic. And and as an aside, by the way, I think it's, I think it's all that much more important because you know. Our, 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 our people are, our people are, I mean, there are a lot of things right now, right? You know, people ask me how I am and, and, and I tell them, I tell them jokingly that, well, once you put, once you put a global once in a century pandemic, massive social upheaval and murder hornets aside, I'm actually doing pretty well, right? But imagine the slow moving horror movie that we find ourselves in and, and our, you know, our employees, our coworkers, our business partners, our bosses are all finding this themselves in a, in, a, in a life that has been completely disrupted, that overnight most of our support stru- structures have been badly damaged or wiped out altogether. Um, and and there's, there's a lot of fear. There's a, a lot of anger. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of uncertainty. And frankly, there are just more mental demands on people. And, and, and what that means to me is that, that getting, to know, getting to know the people you work with on a personal level is more important than ever. And it's not just because people are isolated now and they're working at their coffee table. Um, yeah, there, there is that. Um, uh, but, but I think also, you know, people want to know that that's somebody out there kind of gives a damn about them. And, and, you know, in an, in an environment where we can't have the kind of contact we once had with our, our close friends and family, in some cases, it's dangerous to interact with them. Um, you know, we, we, need to, we need to pay attention to this all the more. So this is too big and complex a topic for me to cover 
myself. So as we always do on this program, I brought in an expert who does know how to, how to, how to help us think about this. And joining us today is author and keynote speaker, Elaine Hunkins. Elaine is a leadership expert who connects the science of high performance with the performing art of leadership. Over the course of his 20-plus year career, Elaine has worked with tens of thousands of leaders in over 25 countries and served clients in all industries, including 42 Fortune 100 companies. He delivers dynamic keynotes, I've seen them on YouTube, seminars, and workshops covering a variety of leadership topics, including communication, team building, conflict management, peak performance, motivation, and change. He has a Master's of Fine Arts in Acting from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee's Professional Theater Training Program. Take that, all the parents that said that kind of degree doesn't get you anywhere. And a Bachelor of Arts from Amherst College. Elaine also serves in the faculty of Duke Corporate Education, ranked number two worldwide in 2018 by Financial Times on this list of customized executive education programs. He has also lectured at the University of North Carolina's Keenan Flagler's Business School and Columbia University. Elaine has authored over 400 articles and has been published by the Association for Talent Development, CEO Refresher, and the American Management Association. And he just released a book, Cracking the Leadership Code, which treats leadership as a skill set rather than a purely innate talent and offers helpful guidance on how to develop or improve your own leadership skills. He's a certified co-leader for Mankind Project International, a nonprofit whose mission is to help men lead lives of service to their families, communities, and workplaces. He is talking to us from uh, the Netherlands today, uh, but I also understand he hails from Northampton, Massachusetts, which is close to University of Massachusetts and the National Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield. And I know that because I grew up about two hours away from there in in Boston. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I've never been to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Nevertheless, Elaine, thank you for coming to the program and welcome. Mike, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be with you here today. Thanks. So, um, let, let's, let's jump off, jump in here with something very basic, which is we talk about getting to know your employees on a personal level. What does that mean to you? How would we define that? Wow. It's a great question. And I'd love your, your context up front was really useful because I think what that means has really changed over time, getting to know. So you talked about your, your self-identified Gen Xer as am I. And we came of age in the business world where it's very common. We probably haven't even heard this. Like we check your feelings at the door, right? And so the idea that work and life were two separate beings. But, you know, the world has really changed. You know, you talked about that. And just thinking about moving from this transactional-based leadership to relationship-based leadership. And so what's happening now is the fact that we, not just as employees, but just as members of society, our expectations have totally changed about what we expect from everything. And a big part of that has to do with the information technology has allowed us to be transparent. So we know what's going on. If we don't like our jobs, we can look in LinkedIn and Glassdoor and there are options and we can leave. So I say all that because what it means to get to know your people is people expect more from their relationships at work than they ever have in the past. And the cool thing is we've had all this great social science research that shows that when people perform at their best, they're actually feeling at their best. So if we want our employees to do a good job, it's actually in our best interest to make sure the environment they're in serves that. And part of a, a big part of how that environment 
becomes optimal for them to perform is for them to feel good, which means they have to feel that someone cares about them. It turns out, and actually, uh, Tony Schwartz, who wrote a book called The Power of Full Engagement, and Christine Porath, who is a Georgetown professor, did this great article in the New York Times a few years ago called Why You Hate Work. And it had tons of research. And they found that actually feeling cared for is the number one thing that improves engagement and decreases turnover. So it's so funny because it sounds so soft and fluffy, right? Oh, I got to care about my people, get to know them. But there's actually some great metrics that show there's a lot of hard science and performance result. You know, So for the bottom liners, there's a lot of hard evidence for this very soft and fluffy skill. So that's why it's so important to get to know your people. So um, a term that often enters a discussion like this and others, but we're talking about this, is the notion of authenticity. And uh, I'm hoping you can talk about what authenticity means in your mind and how does it enter this discussion of getting to know your employees? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, there's this big hoopla around authentic. It's like people are like, well, what if you're authentically a jerk? Like, do I show up as an authentic jerk? Right. Um, right. It's like, ah, uh, maybe. No, no. So that's not really what authenticity is about. I mean, in the work context, when we think about being authentic, it's that sense that people don't have to wear a mask. I mean, obviously, we're in COVID times. People are wearing physical masks. I'm talking about the psychological mask, the armor that people put on. You know, Deloitte did this great study a few years ago. And they found that 61% of the U.S. employee workforce feels the need to cover their identities in some ways. That is, they have to wear a mask. And the thing is, you, we all know what it's like. We've all been in situations where we have to kind of put up our guard and, and, and wear a mask. And when we do that, we are disconnected both from the people around us, but in some ways from ourselves, because it takes a lot of extra energy to put on that shield. So authenticity is about having a relationship where people can be who they are and exp and express what's going on. Like, I think the idea that right now, for example, we're going through this coronavirus pandemic, it makes sense to like for a leader to say, you know, it's okay not to be okay. This is really tough. This is tough. These are hard times. And so we have to normalize people's experience because people are always looking to leaders to set the tone. And if we just pretend like it's business as usual, deep down, people are going to feel like, well, there's something wrong and we're not talking about this. And it becomes the elephant in the room. So authenticity is a way to address things in a way where people can drop their guard, let down their defenses and just relax. And when they do that, this, the, the neuroscience would be it actually calms your central nervous system. And when you're calmer, it frees up these neural resources, your brain, so you can actually focus on the job at hand instead of kind of going, am I okay? Is this okay? What is my boss thinking about me? And all those weird thoughts that we all have all the time. So authenticity is key to all that. And, and, you know, that, that brings up another question. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and go off script, yeah. which by question three, that means we're on schedule. So, <laughs> but, but, but you really, you, you know, in these trying times, right, I, I think most companies are at least asking the question, how can we help our employees, co you know, cope? And some things are realistically within the purview of, of employers to help with. 
and some things, frankly, just aren't. Um, and, and you know, we we can't we cannot fix everything. We don't have the resources. We don't have the the standing to do that. But you really can't even begin to help employees through this. And I'm going to make this deliberately vague, whatever this is, because different for everybody else. For everybody, yeah. you can't even begin to fix it if you don't know them, can you? No, you can't. You can't. And it's so interesting because as you describe this idea of fixing it, you've touched on such a big leadership trap, which I call it's actually the fixer. So many people in organizations who are in leadership roles think, oh, I'm in charge. I have to fix things. I have to solve problems and make things better. People don't actually want to work for fixers. They want to work for leaders. And the cool thing is you don't need to be a mind reader to figure out what's going on. The fact is, like, for example, coronavirus pandemic. Yes, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. The fact is, everyone is experiencing this, and I'll call it a trauma, because by the way, the de- the definition of trauma in the dictionary is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. So I think this qualifies. Global pandemic, would you say? You know, it's a trauma. I think so. Yeah, I think it qualifies. Sure. So that being said, how every single person that you work with is going to respond differently. Some people are living home and they're alone. Other people have small kids. They have to suddenly homeschool and they're now teaching on top of work. I mean, everyone, people may be, you know, immune compromised, may have elderly parents. Like we don't know what they're dealing with. So the key to knowing your people isn't to try to fix it and guess it's to ask them, right? So it's, you know, I've been coaching a lot of leaders on this over the last few months, like a simple question just to stop and go, Hey, how are you? How are you feeling? And not just, I'm fine. How are you? Let's get to business. Like, no, really, how are you doing? Which means as a leader, you need to park your own agenda, put it to the side and hold space for somebody else. Now, some people are really uncomfortable because if they ask the question, how are you feeling? Guess what? If you listen, they might tell you. And some people think, I can't handle that. You know, the thing is, that's really good. You don't need to be some kind of a licensed psychologist to deal with this. All you have to be is an empathic human. The fact is, if there are people in your life, like your family and your friends that you love and care about, you do this much more easily. Somehow, though, a lot of us have this barrier when it comes to work that, you know, when it comes to employees and asking them how they feel, that's inappropriate. And then they're like, oh, let's get to business. So, yeah, it's it's very much, it's key for you to, first of all, get out of that fixer mindset. And then second, start to listen with some purpose and have some empathy for other people's situations. And if it turns out that what they're dealing with is not something you can fix, just the fact that you listen and go, I hear you, I don't know what I can do, but I'd like to help you figure out what what can get done. That goes a long way. You know, people get the fact that, you know what? 95% of our customers are gone and our business is about to close. People get it. You know, they're not stupid. They're adults. And so we have to stop treating them like they're children. And a big part of that is getting to know them in, in their, in their full life, you know, outside of just the functional job box that they sit in on your two dimensional industrial age org chart. And, and that, and that speaks to, I think, getting out again of a transactional mindset. You know, getting away from your, you're, you're not asking somebody how they are or what's going on. Um, because that's the necessary social protocol then to extract work, right? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a legitimate question. And I love the term empathy. I love the term, you know, empathy there. And, and you bring up a, you bring up a point which, um, which I think about a lot and I want to share here too is that, it is scary to ask people how they're doing because you don't know what you're going to get back, right? And 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 
caring requires a certain level of courage, doesn't it? Because once you care, you then adopt some form of ownership or responsibility. Maybe not to fix the not to fix what's going what's going on because that may be beyond your power. But you but but once you do you know once you do care, you do then have an obligation to share a little bit of yourself, whether it's your time, your attention, your empathy. Um, in order to to help that person deal with whatever it is that's going on, absolutely you do. Yeah, you you can't but help become invested in some way. You know, as you say that, it's funny. It reminds me. You know, we talk a big game about how important it is for employees to be engaged. You know, we're always measuring how is our employee engagement. Well, do we ever stop and think about how is the engagement of our leaders? The fact is, as leaders, if we're not engaged with employees. Why would they be engaged with us and or at work? It doesn't make any sense. So yeah, definitely you need to extend yourself to what's going on. And yeah, you may not be comfortable with it. And this may derail your agenda, but that's part of leadership. This is part of stepping into a role where you know you want to get somewhere, you have an outcome, but the map is not the territory. And somebody brings something up and suddenly this is the most important thing in this moment. Now, hopefully we'll get back to something else, but this may take us on a different direction. And that's being a, I'll call it mature, a mature leader to be able to do that. And it's funny before you said, Mike, about the sense that, you know, some people are scared of bringing it up or they feel like there's this protocol. The fact is we can all smell it really quickly when someone is faking this, when someone thinks, oh, I have to ask you how you're feeling because my leadership coach told me I'm supposed to ask you that, but I really don't care. And now that I've asked you that, I'm going to move on. We all know when people are faking it. So this does have to come from that. We'll use that word again, authenticity, that you actually genuinely care. And that is a different mindset for a lot of people. In fact, I would say that shift, which you described earlier, you know, that shift from transactional to relational may be the biggest divide that leaders have to cross to be able to do this whole caring for your people well. So let's say that, that a listener now is convinced, okay, I need to do a better job or I want to do a better job of getting to know my employees at all on a personal level or better. Is, is that a formal process? Is it an informal process or is it both? And I, I guess what I'm really getting at is what are a couple of steps to get started once I've, I've made that decision or if I'm going to make that decision, what are the next steps going to be? Great question. So I think there's some formal and there's some informal. I say on the formal side, first of all, is be intentional and make some time because this won't necessarily happen in the elevator, on the water cooler, or in this case, you know, while people are just coming in waiting for the Zoom meeting to start. Um, so get intentional about carving out some time. Uh, the other thing I'd say on a formal point of view is think about your structure if this helps you. Now, some people are really good at drawing people out, we'll call it naturally, or they've already had some practice at it. If you're not one of those people, you want to think about what would be some really great open-ended questions to get people talking. Because ideally, they are doing 80, 85% of the talking, and you are just asking some really good questions, and then maybe prompting them with a, tell me more. So for example, so that's the formal side. On the informal side, I think it's showing up, being present, being really open, uh, being curious as to what they have to say and listening with purpose. So if I want to get to know someone, so asking a really provocative question like, what is your biggest aspiration professionally? 
you know, that suddenly is different from, you know, what did you want to be when you grow up, you know, or what is really exciting to you now? Or, you know, what, what's your, what was your biggest hobby growing up, you know, or what was a big challenge growing up? You know, suddenly just getting people, it sort of doesn't matter which one you choose. Let's face it. We are all had these rich lives with incredible history. And if we, someone just asks us to share, you know, tell me, or you could even, if you could even say, well, so what's your story? Tell me your story. I'd like to know more about you. You know, if it's genuine, people know it and they'll start to open up. And if you give them the cues that you're interested and want, want to hear more, they will share more. You know, I think it was Dale Carnegie in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, who said, if you want to be interesting, be interested. And so being interested in people, you know, we like, we love to joke in, in the field that people's favorite subject to talk about is themselves. So, you know, it's true for customers. Why wouldn't it be true for the people that you lead? So taking some time up front, thinking about intentionally, how would you structure this conversation? It's amazing. You can get more information in a half an hour call like this than you can otherwise. In fact, in one of the leadership trainings I run, I actually have strangers who are, they're confederates. We bring them in, but they're strangers to the participants, the leader participants. And they have to basically spend a half an hour engaging with a stranger. And then we debrief the experience at the end. And one of the leaders who went through this said to me, oh my gosh, I just spent 30 minutes with someone. I'm convinced I know more about this person than people who have been on my team working for me for the last five years. So it's amazing what the power of intention and the power of saying, I want to engage and get to know you can do. You know, we like to say that, oh, it takes years and years to build trust. You can accelerate that process with some good intention and some great questioning and listening skills. So how much of this also is making yourself knowable, right? And I, I think in that same book, Dale Carnegie talks about, you know, ma making it easy for people to get to know you as well. And, you know, for example, in, in, in my office, uh, I keep a, uh, I keep a music synthesizer. Uh, I almost never play it, but I keep it because it lets people know that I have a musical interest. So if they ever wanted to ask about that, it sort of gives them an entree and, you know, I'm, I'm big into the retro video games and, and I'm 50, so I'm not trying to impress anybody anymore and I'm, I'm open about it. Um, but I guess my point is, is, is that, um, you know, how important is it also to allow yourself to be known at the same time? It's really important. In fact, there's this really cool studies that have come out about this. There's a, a guy named David Meerman Scott, and he's got a book that came out about a year ago called Fanocracy. And what he discovered in his research, so he, David Meerman Scott happens to be a Grateful Dead fan. Um, that just, so and he shares that whenever he does talks and, and workshops, he shares pictures, he talks about it. And what's amazing is the impact. He said, it doesn't matter. It isn't about what it is. It's that he's got an interest in something thing that that creates connection. So for you, it's your synthesizer and your music in your office. It's just like showing people that you're not just a two dimensional worker bee. You know, people want to know that, oh, you have a life, you have interests outside. And when we do that, it actually, it humanizes us. It softens the edges and it 
creates and accelerates this power of connection. So it's, yeah, so it's called fanocracy, this idea of how do you turn customers into raving fans? I think we could also say, how do you turn employees into raving fans? It's like, yeah, let them know who you are. You know, we talked earlier about the whole Gen X thing. So 61% of our workforce today is Gen Y and Gen Z. And, you know, they've grown up in this digital world where there's so much more transparency. You know, I have, a, I have a sister who's 14 years younger than me and the amount of personal stuff that she posts on Facebook versus me, it's just, you know, again, we're different generations in some ways. Yep. And it's just me because again, she's kind of grown up and this is what her peer group does. And they're just so comfortable with having their world be transparent and knowing that everything is seen. I mean, this is the issue now with, with social media and the digital footprint is that if you say something somewhere, there's probably a track on it. So you got to be pretty comfortable with whatever you put out there. Someone's going to see somewhere. So, so some of our listeners may be thinking, you know, I'm already making an effort. We have our annual holiday party. We have a couple of firm events. Maybe we have an outing to a, a baseball game back when that wasn't a, 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 a risk your life kind of thing. But, you know, we have our, our spring outing or whatever you know, isn't that enough? Doesn't that already mean that I'm getting to know my employees? Well, it's funny, right? Yeah, we do it once a year. I mean, to me, the analogy there is a little bit like, so I've been married to my wife. We're coming up on 20 years of marriage. We've been together 22 years. And I think the analogy I come up with is like, okay, so I said to her on our wedding day that I love you. Now, can I use the excuse like, well, I said it on our wedding day. Isn't that good enough? So this idea that telling people you care about them at the annual picnic I mean, if people care about you, wouldn't you want them to tell you more often? So Gallup did this wonderful study, which they published in this book called First Break All the Rules, where they, they actually interviewed over a million people around the world. And they spent 20 years doing all the research to put this together. And what they found is that there's not one thing above all everything else that makes for a successful employee. And they measured success by profitability, productivity, lower turnover, higher retention, stuff like that. It was, what was that relationship with their immediate supervisor? So I would say a couple things on this. Number one is, let's say you're, let's just call you the CEO for now, and you have 400 employees in your organization. Now, I wouldn't expect you to get to know every single person on a deep, deep personal level, because it's 400, but hopefully there are some layers of leadership and so you may have, let's say, 10 direct reports. You should really be modeling getting to know them well and being explicit about the importance of them getting to know their people well and so on and so forth. So that's one piece. The other thing that the Gallup study talked about that was really useful, they turned it into these 12 questions, the Gallup 12. And one of these questions is, has someone basically praised me in the last seven days. Now I've shared that research with people in my work and people say seven days, I'd settle for seven months because some of us think, oh, I do it once a year. We do it on our performance review. I mean, after all, they have a job, they have a paycheck. Isn't that motivation enough? Yep. No, it's not. I mean, all the studies would say actually money, you know, once we get to a certain threshold, isn't going to motivate a whole lot of performance, especially in this knowledge work economy that we live in. You know, it might have been so if you said, okay, I got to produce 10 widgets today and tomorrow if you do 12, we'll pay you more. But in this creative problem-solving knowledge work world that we live in, money is not going to be that motivator. So yeah, getting to know people is in fact quite important. So now we have this this relatively new dynamic. It's not that new anymore, I guess, but, but for Gen Xers like me where the internet consisted of a 
300 baud modem connected to an Atari 400 is it is new. Um, but social media now comes into this, right? Yeah. And I'd love to get your thoughts. I I generally don't connect with my coworkers on say Facebook. I, I, um, and, and, and really hesitate even to do it on LinkedIn, mainly because particularly if they're subordinate with me, I don't want to feel like they, I don't want to put them in a position of, of wondering if they feel like they have to connect with me because I'm there, um, you know, I'm higher ranked within the organization. Is, is that a legitimate concern or am I being overly cautious or am I not being cautious enough? Well, Mike, what I love about your approach there is you're not, now I don't know how you are, if they send you an invite, if you accept or not. So here's the thing. I think the point of view of you know, there is all sorts of, we'll call it baggage that the leader wears, you know, along with their, their position, which is we have an outsized influence. So like you've said, if you reach out and send a Facebook invitation to one of your direct reports, like, uh, if I, if I don't accept this, what's that going to say? And then suddenly they have this whole story. So I think the strategy of, of if you're in that leader role, I would wait. I would not do I would not reach out and I would let people make the first move and be quite okay with them not or the other option is you are also welcome to be very explicit I'm a huge believer that one of the things great leaders do is they make their implicit assumptions explicit so if you feel comfortable and say you know as you are onboarding people onto your team hey just want to let you know up front uh here's my social media policy I don't connect doesn't mean this doesn't mean that this is what it means and letting people know because then they're not getting into this whole weird guessing game you know it's amazing how much drama and politics goes on when people don't have accurate information and they have to fill in the vacuum and where we tend to fill in vacuums as humans is with negativity so the more you can be clear and overt and also realize you don't want to put undue pressure on people yeah I wouldn't go and start you know, sending out friend invites to everybody. And then, cause otherwise it's going to put them in a very uncomfortable situation. So uh, another question, I, I think some of our listeners will, will likely have a concern is, um, does, does getting to know your employees lead to a scenario in which you're playing favorites? And can that, is there a risk of that interjecting kind of unwelcome politics into the workplace? And if that is a risk, what would your recommendations be on managing it? That is a great question. So yeah, it certainly presents a risk, this whole idea of playing favorites. So, you know, there's a couple of things that go on 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 the psychological level when you get to know people. So psychologists call one of these things the similarity attraction effect, which is a fancy way for saying Oh, you went to the same college I did? Do you, oh, like suddenly you're bonded or you have the same sports team you love, right? We start bonding over our shared commonalities. So one thing leaders should be aware of is this creates a huge unconscious bias. So if you don't check that and go, wow, I am totally wanting to spend time and promote this person because they're so much like me, right? They look like me, they talk like me. So this is a huge thing, especially in this age where we're trying to understand that if you want to get the best people in the best places, you want to create a diverse and inclusive workforce. And I'm not meaning just racially and socially economic. In every way, you want to create diversity and inclusion because that's how you're going to get the best ideas to innovate and come up with great things to move your business forward. So 
what this means is we want to be able to check our unconscious bias as best as we can. And also, you know, this is, which is hard. It's really hard to do that well and realize that getting to know some people, am I starting to play favorites? And I think one thing that's really valuable around this is for us as leaders to clarify our own values and, and check in with this. Because if we don't recognize that we're doing it, we will be doing it unconsciously. And it, it can definitely lead to problems. Now, one of the issues also connected to this is the idea that, you know, treating people differently actually makes sense. I'm not saying treat everyone the same, but different people are motivated by different things. And so a big piece of effective leadership around getting to know people is different people. You know, for example, if you want to recognize them, one person on your team, giving them a cash gift or some kind of a bonus means a lot. Somebody else, it might be doing a public thank you in front of the team or sending a note home to their family. So you don't want to treat everyone the same. However, the intention behind it is you want to care for people with an equal level of respect. I realize that is a bit of a subtle distinction, but this is why leadership is a lot easier to talk about than it is to do. And, you know, and the bias thing, that, that brings up kind of the, what, I, what I think is, a, is an interesting um, discussion topic, which is I think in some cases we see our employees run amok, especially with that built-in connection in particular, when we, we encounter or we observe what is now known, I guess, as the bro culture, right, which is being revealed to be pretty toxic in areas of finance and areas of, um, of uh, high growth emerging technology companies. Yeah. And, and, and you know, one of the things that, that I, uh, I guess I struggle with, but I try to be very conscious of is is that you know right now the way our society is generally structured um you know women and men have a different availability for a friendship right or a different availability for those kinds of of communications and and to be very specific you know right now in America it, it you know it is more likely still that that women are doing are bearing the bulk of the responsibility for uh domestic management um uh, watching taking care of children, et cetera. Um, men, uh, conversely don't necessarily have that responsibility. So if you want to go out for drinks afterwards, you know, men are more likely to be available than women. Women often need to, or have needs that, that ought to be accommodated. They need to leave the office early. Right. And there have been studies that have shown that that does in fact hurt women's careers. Um, and that's something that we have to be conscious of. But I, th I think what you're talking about that, that having that 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 commonality and that bias, if if you're not if you're really not careful, it, it can run amok into into creating a massive wedge within the organization, often in an unintended way along gender and potentially even racial boundaries. Oh, completely, Mike. I mean, as you're talking about that, that's exactly where my mind was going to is is just realizing you know as there has been such an awakening in the U.S. over the last eight or so weeks since before we recorded here, you know, thinking about all of the social unrest, you know, in, 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 in the wake of the George Floyd murder and recognizing that, you know, people are being more 
woken up to the fact that these biases exist. And the challenge with any kind of power dynamic bias is in general, power tends to be blind to itself unless it gets some kind of a wake up call that says, hey, you should notice this because your privilege is creating these inequities. And for example, like you said, oh, like if I don't stop and think, oh, when I invite the team out to drink, some people don't come. If I don't stop to think about what that implication is and I go, oh, so I'm building relationships with other people, I need to really check. That's that's I'm doing all of that from a position of power and a position of privilege. So it is important for me to check my position of privilege and power at the door and realize what's the implications. Because as you said, that can get very messy very quickly. So how do you, another concern is, you know, how do you keep, how do you, how do you prevent developing with your employees from interfering with tough but necessary decisions, right? The, the downside of getting to know your employees is the time may come when you effectively have to fire a friend. Yeah. And I've fired people before. For the most part, I haven't enjoyed it. There's one person I couldn't wait to see leave. Um, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to be honest about it. Yeah. That, that person made my life bad from start to finish. And I could not wait for him to leave. So I didn't lose any sleep. For the most part, when I've had to let people go, it's, it's, it's a terrible day. Not as terrible as the person who's been let go, but it still ain't fun. And yeah. now, you know, I'm imagining, I'm imagining somebody who's been through the wars and they've had to fire maybe lots of people over the years saying, you know what, I don't want to put myself in a position of potentially having to fire somebody that uh, I care about and, and sees me as their friend. Because now there's not just a level of commercial betrayal, there's a level potentially of personal betrayal. How do you, how do you work through that? How do you work through that head maze? Yeah, there's a lot. We have to unpack this a bit because there's a lot there. Um, so let's just start with, first of all, getting to know people and having to fire them in terms of, let's just back it up for a second. One of the things I see a lot of leaders struggle with with employees is we don't make, we talked about it earlier about this whole mind reading thing, is we need to really clarify expectations and accountabilities up front. You know, accountability is this big buzzword these days, and we have to hold our people accountable. I don't actually think that leaders need to hold anyone accountable. I think what we need to do is clarify expectations, set co-create objectives up front, set those with people and check in with them along the way, ideally to support them. And if things start to go off track, if they're not achieving what we have co-created and agreed upon, then I'm not really holding you accountable. I'm just reminding you of the commitments you're making and that we've made. And that should be built on a foundation of honesty, openness, and trust. And so that's why we can get to know each other. And if there are issues, ideally, let's say you're underperforming in some way. So my first take is I'm not going to wait until the end of whatever project deliverable or year performance review to come over and say, hey, Mike, you know, you screw this up. And now, you, you know, you better watch out because you're going to have a job here. Ideally, I would have caught that way sooner, come in and noticed where the trend is and saying, hey, just want to check in what's going on. Is there something that I can support you with? Right? Suddenly, we have a different conversation. So a big piece around accountability is co-creating those expectations. Now, that being said, it doesn't make it easier when you let people go, when you care about them. So 
I mean, to me, you know, it's also recognizing, you know, we tend to, and I'll go back to what you talked about, Simon Sinek and the infinite game. You know, if we see a person's career as this finite, okay, you're hired, you're fired. And so hired means success and fired means failure. I mean, how can we extend those relationships beyond that? So for example, I have seen and known people who have actually walked out of a meeting getting terminated and actually feel closer to their leader than they did when they walked in because their leader cared for them. They talked about how we can support you in this transition. They talked about how do we stay in touch and be an alumnus of this network and our organization. So a lot of this is the mindset. You know, if we walk into this of, oh, you know, I'm firing them. I am slitting their throat. It's like, no, you're not. You're actually terminating an employment contract. Like, let's, let's get clear on that. And then how can I, so this has to do with being honest, straightforward, clear, and you can be empathetic. And, you know, we can all learn. And this, again, takes maturity to do all this. So there's a lot here. And again, easier said than done. But that's the ideal that we're moving towards is how do we treat people that way? I mean, you could look at that in an, an analogy. You can look at that at a family system. It's like, well, you know, I could care about my kids and love them, but, you know, they're going to just move out of the house when they're 18. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, at a certain point, you've got to invest because the investment actually pays dividends longer term and it will pay dividends in ways you don't even know. So as opposed to just thinking, okay, well, this is just an employee, so I'm not going to get to know them too much because what you're really doing is you're treating them as a thing. And we're going back to transactional world again. And really what you're describing, I think, and, and I'm using an extreme event, it doesn't have to be termination, but it just, it makes the conversation easier. It is is really, I think, probably what we, I think we consider best practices when you have to let anybody go, right? You would like, you would like it again, not to be sort of the Dr. Evil kind of, kind of scenario, you push a button, the employee drops through and isn't, you know, there's a flaming pit, but, but there is actually some, some empathy that this is a transitional conversation and, you know, how can I help make this easier for you, even though this is necessary you know, in, in a way, getting to know the employees, I think if you, pers- if you follow that, that, that thesis to the conclusion here, it's really nudging you in a way that you probably want to go and you probably want to have yourself viewed as a leader and as a company to other prospective employees down the road, right? Totally, totally. I mean, if you think about it, it, the natural extension of getting to know your people is now that I know them, if it comes time for us to part ways, I'll be in a much better position to part ways in a more effective, we'll call win-win situation than we would otherwise, because otherwise it's it's much more transactional, much more Dr. Evil-esque, right? So that's what we can do. And so by being a kind of leader that cares about people, you're in much better situation and you know so much more so you can make better decisions as you move forward. But I got to be careful using Dr. Evil because they're going to be millennials and Gen Y I have no idea who <laughs> Dr. Evil is. So anyway, look, you know, yeah. look, look it up uh, on, on YouTube um, or Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is you're doing. So uh, a question I've got to get to, and, and we're, we're, we're wrapping up. I want to be respectful of your time, especially where you are. It's uh, approaching dinner time. Yeah. But um, um, the elephant in the room here, and we're saving the best for last, is, is what is the danger 
of a romantic relationship or I'm not sure if it's worse, but at least equally bad, uh, a romantic feeling that is not reciprocated arising from, from getting to know your employees better. Right. And it's, it's a natural, it's a natural danger that, you know, um, uh, intimacy can lead then to desires for, for other things. And I think we both agree can be, and in my view, personally, I think are more likely are very likely to be enormously destructive. Um, how do you, how do you put up a firewall to minimize the likelihood of something like that occurring? Oh my gosh, what a good juicy question we have here. Yeah. So this is a big one because let's face it, we're human and you know, there's lots going on. So one of the things is, first of all, if you're in a position of leadership in an organization, I would, and this probably varies from state to state and even organization. Uh, first of all, check your policies first, like see what's legitimate and legal in terms of your organizational policies and all that first and get really clear on that um, before any of this stuff happens. So just find that out first. Do me a favor, please. Okay. And then in terms of that, yeah, for certain you know, if you are in the leadership role, again, there is a power dynamic, even though we don't talk about it, it's there. And I think that you have to proceed with huge caution around moving forward anyway, because of that power dynamic going on. Um, so again, kind of like you talked about before, let's assume that the policy is it's okay um, I would say, like we talk with social media, if I'm in a position of power, I do not think it is appropriate for me to initiate any of this. And I would backtrack as much as possible. Like I wouldn't send a friend invite. Same thing. Um, because that's going on. Now, you also talked about the sense of what if it's not reciprocated? I mean, this is where we get into dicier waters, right? So even, yeah, so you want to maintain professional boundaries. You know, that, that being said, many people in the world have met who ends up becoming their partner, spouse, um, in a work context. It's going to happen. But I think underneath the principle we're talking about is being intentional, being conscious, checking your biases, and being respectful of the other person at all times. I think that's a good rule of thumb to proceed, but also check your policies. You know, and I think, I think uh, that, that brings to mind a theme that then I think recurs is, is, is make sure you're authentic and you have the right motivation for initiating the, the get-to-know-you-better kind of relationship, the, the friendship right because you know part of the part of the issue with the power dynamic of romance is that i think in many cases that does that does revert back to a transactional space sure and i think that if if i think one of the ways that that at least a nominally well-intentioned effort to get to know your employees better can be perverted yeah. is to is to then um uh, adopt a view that that well, this is going to become transactional. This is something that I can I can extract out of this, and uh, and and boy, that is that that is sticking your fork in a plugged in toaster, standing in a bathtub full of water, isn't it? 
Totally, totally is. <laughs> and, you know, you talked about the sense of, you know, where caring for your people might start to cross the line. We got to be clear, like there's there's caring for people. And then there's, you know, it, that doesn't necessarily mean intimate caring, right? There's a, there's a big difference just in the same way that I can tell someone that I love them. And I have coworkers and I say, I love you all. You know, this is totally platonic love. It's not like I love you and now let's go and get married and love. There's a difference. And, you know, part of this is having the wisdom to be able to say that and understand it and to live that. And this goes back to that, like you said, the authenticity and the clarity of your purpose and what your intentions are behind it. And people can tell, you know, people smell out intentions pretty well. So it's important for us to smell out our own intentions first. And if you can't handle that, then, you know, maybe it makes sense that maybe you dial it back, right? You may not, yeah. you may not be emotionally wired to engage in, in a productive relationship and that may require some kind of psychotherapy or reflection or spirituality to help you kind of work through, right? But, you know, if, if, if in your own self-assessment you say, you know what, I, I just can't, maybe you even have a history, right? I just, you know, I, I, once I start that relationship, I'm kind of all or nothing, yeah. right? That, that, that may be a situation where if it's really all or nothing, then maybe nothing is actually better. Yeah, for sure. You bring up such a good point here around this whole sense, because, you know, different people learn about how you develop romantic relationships from a lot of different role models. And some of those role models are healthy and a lot are not healthy. So we need to kind of check out, like, where am I coming from? And of course, the problem with this is when you're in a leadership role in an organization, you now have a position of privilege and people are going to project onto you. It's like, oh, you're an executive vice president. You must have you know, you've got your stuff together and all these other things. Well, maybe that person has actually gotten some emotional arrested development around relationship building skills when it comes to romance. And suddenly that's that lack of maturity is now acting out all over the place. So this is why it's so important, as you said, for us to go back and understand where we're coming from. So this is why, you know, we talk about leadership development and personal development. The fact is the two are totally inextricably linked. You can't really do one without the other because the the person is the leader and the leader is the person. So Elaine, this has been a, a, a terrific conversation, frankly, even better than, than, than I, I had hoped. Um, I think we're already setting a record for the longest podcast we've ever done. So thank you for putting up with that. <laughs> but um, and I have nine more questions I could ask. But how, how could people contact you if they want to learn more about this topic? Maybe open a dialogue with you, get a quick piece of advice, something like that. Yeah, sure thing. So easiest place to find me is uh, my website, which is www.alainhunkins. I'm going to spell that because it's a French name, Alain, A-L-A-I-N-H-U-N-K-I-N-S dot com. A lot of the, my thinking has actually been captured in my book, Cracking the Leadership Code. There's a link to it on my website. You can also go to crackingtheleadershipcode.com and preview the book, download a chapter. And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on that platform. But you won't find me on Instagram because I'm an old Gen Xer who doesn't do that, as, as my 13-year-old daughter reminds me of all the time. <laughs> well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. Uh, and I'll, I'll haul out my French degrees and pronounce it properly. So I'd like to thank Alain Hunkin so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're facing your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. 
Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Brady Wearing Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.